right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GTI Insights, the Global Taiwan Institute's policy podcast. My name is Marshall Reed, and I'm a program associate here with GTI. And I'm Catherine Schultz, a research associate at GTI. And today we're, we're so honored to be joined by Dr. Tomasz Matura, an assistant professor at Corvinus University in Budapest, Hungary, and the founder of the Central and Eastern European Center for Asian Studies. He's a leading expert on Chinese foreign policy and domestic policy, EU-China relations, and the 16 slash 17 plus one arrangement. And his writings have been featured in publications around the world, and he's frequently spoken at think tank events around the world. Dr. Matura, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation, and hello, everyone. All right, well, Dr. Matura, given recent developments in the the EU-China relationship, we're we're so glad to have you here to share your expertise and your background. So for years, the, the People's Republic of China has been working to really establish itself as a major player in Europe and build a footprint there. And these efforts have been particularly visible and notable in in your region, in Central and Eastern Europe, where the PRC established the, the cooperation between China and Central and Eastern Europe European countries, also known as the 17 plus one in 2012. Well, these efforts were, were initially fairly successful when China was, was really able to exert some influence throughout the continent. I think we can safely say that the PRC has hit some roadblocks on the continent in recent months. From Lithuania's recent decision to, to leave the 17 plus one arrangement, to the recent calls for the negotiation of an EU-Taiwan bilateral investment agreement, it seems clear that China's position on the continent has has really eroded somewhat in recent years. Nevertheless, despite these developments, despite this erosion of China's position, Hungary has been and continues to be one of the PRC's staunchest partners on the continent. So to to shed some light on Budapest's China policy and the future of Hungary's relationships with China, the EU, and importantly for us, Taiwan, we're, we're so glad to have you here to share your perspective. So thank you again for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, just to shed some light on the background of the 16 plus one cooperation, I think it's important to emphasize that uh, for the Central and Eastern European countries, it was a quite natural reaction to the global financial crisis and then uh, the Eurozone crisis, since all of the countries of the region are so dependent on foreign investment and, of course, on, on, on trade, that it was almost important to the Central European countries to find new partners amidst uh, destruction of the global financial crisis and the Eurozone crisis. And China, like, you know, as a natural partner, as the biggest emerging country, it was very, very, um, how shall I put it, um, uh, logic to the Central European countries to turn towards China. Actually, the whole process started in Budapest in 2011, when the first China Central Europe meeting took place. And then Chinese Prime Minister or Premier uh, uh, Wen Tiabao visited Budapest and met with his counterparts in the region. But yes, indeed, I agree with you that the story has been unfolding recently in a very different way. China has been losing its momentum in the region. And... um and Chinese influence, what many have um, been talking about is a spectacular phenomenon in Central Europe, that China has a strong influence in Central Europe. I think it's fading away, although I believe and I argue that it has never really been that, that strong at all in Central and Eastern Europe. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you, you kind of set the stage for us a bit. I, I think that's a, a really good place to start our conversation. I, I'm, I'm glad you started with talking about Central and Eastern Europe, but I'd like to, to turn a little bit to, to your country specifically and look at Hungary. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's really been a leader on this, this approach to China throughout these, the, the last couple of years. 
So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, what, how would you describe Hungary's approach to China and Taiwan? Uh, you know, what goals have been motivating Budapest's cross-strait uh, approach and, and have those goals been met? You know, you mentioned the, the Eurozone crisis and the, the debt crisis. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this. Well, um, I think it's very important, first of all, to, to mention that it is not necessarily Hungarian foreign policy. It is the foreign policy of the prime minister, Mr. Viktor Orban. Um, as some of, the, some, of the, um, some of you may have heard about it, Hungary has been building, or Mr. Orban has been building, a so-called illiberal regime in the country. It means that national interest, and um, I also believe that the foreign policy interests of the country are now directly linked to the foreign policy interest of Mr. Orban himself. And uh, he has changed a lot in the past few years or even past two decades. Um, it's important to remember that during his first term as prime minister between 1998 and 2002, he was a staunch supporter of, um, of EU's unity vis-a-vis uh, -vis China. He even met the Dalai Lama in the Hungarian National Assembly. And he was, you know, he built a reputation as an anti-communist hero in the country. And compared to that, it was a major surprise to many of us, including China hands in the country, that before his uh, election victory in 2010, in late 2009, he visited Beijing and um, as a party leader of the current governing party of the country today, so as a party president, he established party-to-party -party relationship between Fidesz, his party, and the Communist Party of China. That was, you know, kind of a major shock to many in Hungary, but also at the very same time, um, we believe that he kind of um, believed in realpolitik. He understood that China changed a lot and that China uh, had become a very important economic player and political player in the world and therefore he decided to get closer to China and um, and uh, I think in the first four or five years his policies were mainly focusing on economic issues and economic considerations prevailed. He really tried to uh, boost Hungarian exports to China and also to boost Chinese um, investment in Hungary because it was so important to the country. But I also believe and I have the feeling that in the past five to six years, he turned towards politics. And nowadays, he tries to use the strong relationship between his government and the Chinese Communist Party and, 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 and Beijing in general as a leverage, as a bargaining chip in his constant fights with the West and with the European Union, with the European institutions. And furthermore, I hear gossips from, from people close to the government that uh, the prime minister and many of the prominent members of the Hungarian government truly believe that the future is with China and it's with the East. So the future lies in the East and they seemingly believe that the West is on the brinks of collapse and, you know, Europe and America uh, are going to fade uh, away as the leading powers of the world. Um, in, in the second half of the 20th, 21st century. Uh, you know, as a Hungarian, it's a little bit strange and it's a little bit odd to listen to this kind of rhetoric because from before the change of the regime in Central and Eastern European countries, all satellite countries of the former Soviet Union, it was a very typical uh, communication panel of Central European communist governments saying that the West was on the brinks of collapse and capitalism will collapse no matter what and communism will prevail. And, you know, 30 years later, listening to the very same argument, 
interpretation is a little bit strange to me. But as a matter of fact, I believe that Mr. Orban personally really believes that um, the future is China. Well, that's uh, that's really fascinating, Tomas. Thank you very much. Uh, I know that you've already uh, started speaking about this a little bit, uh, but I would be really curious to know. Um, so, um, in the past, you have uh, you have described uh, Orban as the key driver of Hungary's China policy to the point that you have described his China policy as a personal policy. Um, so, what do you believe has led Orban to become so enamored with China? Well, uh, I think it's a multifaceted issue. So first of all, it is hard to deny that the Chinese economic successes in the past few decades are are enormous and, and fascinating. And I believe that Mr. Orban thinks that getting closer to China may benefit Hungary uh, economically. Um, However, when we look at numbers and figures of the past decade, I can, I can absolutely say that the economic expectations or ex- expectations connected to the business relationship to China, uh, well, those numbers are quite disappointing. Of course, you could say that the uh, glass is half empty or half full. I believe that half empty is a better description, description to, to, to describe the economic relationship between China and Hungary. And generally speaking, when it comes to the 16 plus one co most of the countries of the region, with a very few exceptions like Hungary and Serbia, but most of the countries um, um, have uh, expressed their disappointment when it comes to economic relationship with China. Besides economics, I think politics play an important role in the personal foreign policy of Mr. Orban. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, he seemingly tries to use China as a kind of a big brother, as a leverage, as a bargaining chip um, vis-a-vis the European Union and Germany, uh, he tries to send out the message to the West that we have alternatives. I mean, that Hungary has alternatives. Um, Once he, I think, quite... um, openly tried to blackmail uh, the West and said that, for example, he said once explicitly that uh, should the European Union decide to curb uh, financial support uh, aimed at Central Europe, then we turn to China. And, you know, I think it's a bluff. It's a very easy to, it's, it's easy to recognize that it's a bluff because Hungary and other Central European countries have been receiving tens of billions of euros in forms of European, European uh, uh, structural funds and compared to that any potential uh, um, inflow of money from China would be a fragment, a frag- fragment of the of the Chinese, or the, sorry, of the European money we have been receiving for the past fifteen years. And furthermore, I think when it comes to Mr. Orban's um, personal policy, this illiberal regime. This is a key word. Um, he announced that Hungary is now an illiberal country and not a liberal country. And we know that the biggest illiberal player in the world, it is China, besides Russia and some other players. And many also argue that Mr. Orban is a little bit kind of bored with Hungarian domestic politics. You know, he has been dominating the political spectrum for for a decade. He feels that he has no real competition in the country. And I believe that he has developed some uh, ambitions to play uh, a European level role or even maybe a global level role. Um, Before the last European parliamentary elections, he seemingly tried to 
uh, forge a global alliance of illiberal countries. He has been very supportive of, of the policies of Beijing, also Russia, also the Netanyahu government in Israel. And I think he was the only one from Europe to attend uh, the inauguration of Mr. Bolsonaro in Brazil. After the European parliamentary elections, he had to reconsider his position because despite his expectations, this, you know, uh, uh, Eurosceptic movement um, on the, on the, on the pan-European level did not succeed in getting the majority of the seats in the European Parliament. Uh, Well-established parties like the European Socialist and the European People's Party still control uh, most of the European uh, Parliament. And uh, what we see today, that in many countries of Western and Northern Europe, um, a lot of governments now are on the left side of the political spectrum. So that breakthrough of illiberal regimes or right-wing governments expected by Mr. Orban has never happened, and therefore he had to reconsider. But there is an important thing I have to point out, and that is that Despite the fact that Mr. Orban's government um, has been very eager at offering political gestures to China, all of these gestures, like you know, blocking EU statements, condemning Chinese activities in Hong Kong or Xinjiang or the South China Sea, but all of these gestures were political by nature and never touched upon economic and business relations. Why? That's very simple, because Mr. Orban is totally aware that the most important economic partner of Hungary is the EU and Germany itself. And for Germany, China is such an important economic partner. And for Germany, a joint EU-level policy towards China is such an important issue that Mr. Orban never dared to, you know, cross the red line of... Uh, of, of uh, offering gestures to China that would cost a single penny to Germany. So I think that's something very important to emphasize that the Hungarian pro-China policy um, is, a, is a multi-layered approach. And it's not, you know, like a full-scale pro-China approach, but it is more nuanced in that way that he, uh, Mr. Orban keeps an eye on the interest of Germany and the European economic interests. Sure. We're, <laughs> this is why we're glad to have you on here to, to shed some light on that, that nuance there, that it is just it's not a black and white thing. Um, I'm, I'm glad you you turned to the, the idea that Orban feels unchallenged in Hungary and that he's really been just sort of the, the preeminent electoral force in Hungary for over a decade now. Um, but it's been interesting following the news in, in the last year or so that he really is at least ostensibly facing his first major challenge since he was elected in 2010. Uh, beginning in, in late 2020, Hungary's various opposition parties across the ideological spectrum have actually united, forming a, a common front against the prime minister and have pledged to run single candidates in each, each jurisdiction. So despite its ideological diversity and really disparate groups coming together, this, this new united front has proven to be remarkably popular in Hungary with with recent public opinion polls showing it running actually neck and neck with, with Fidesz, the uh, Orban's party. So from your perspective, you know, from your, your place in Hungary, does this new force have a chance of actually unseating Orban from his, from his place of power? And if they're able to, do you think Hungary's relationship with China, such as it is right now, will endure? 
Well, when it comes to the chances of the opposition winning the next elections next May in 2022, I think the situation has never been more volatile and it's I think it's impossible to give any predictions. The very reason is that, for example, we, uh, we are having our primaries for the very first time in history. So the second round is going on as of today and uh, for the next, upcoming next few days. Hungary has never had primaries and actually the election law amended by Mr. Orban almost 10 years ago now forced all opposition opposition parties to work together because um, because that's the only way to have at least the slightest chance to beat Mr. Orban as, at the next elections. So usually when my foreign friends ask me what are the chances of the, of the opposition, I always say that uh, probably they have the highest chances in the past uh, decades uh, now, but these chances are still pretty low. Mr. Orban and his government controls a huge part of the media. They have an enormous and extremely wealthy economic background in forms of kind of oligarchs. Uh, and I think the opposition parties are underfinanced, uh, undermotivated, uh, and underorganized compared to Fidesz. So it will be an extremely tough endeavor to dethrone Mr. Orban next May. But yes, it's still true. The chances have never been higher for, op- for the opposition, but still very, very low. But let's 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 you know entertain the idea for a moment that uh, that Hungary will have a new government next year. Well, the, as you already alluded to, that uh, the opposition parties come from the from the whole spectrum of the political environment. So, uh, right wing parties, left wing parties, uh, liberal parties, uh, conservatives, everyone is represented in this so called rainbow movement of uh, of the opposition parties. Uh, so it's really hard to predict what kind of foreign policy and especially what kind of China policy Hungary may follow under uh, the rule of an ex-government. But what I can tell you that a few years ago I conducted a research in form of uh, in-depth research interviews with uh, uh, you know, foreign policy minds behind uh, all Hungarian major parties. And what I can tell you that all opposition parties are way more cautious about dealing with China. So all parties, including Fidesz and including opposition parties, agree that China is a force in the world you have to, you have to deal with. So you cannot just simply forget that China has a, has a huge problem presence in global politics and global economics today, but opposition parties would never dare to offer such political gestures to China like uh, the ones um, uh, by Mr. Orban. Uh, All opposition parties favor a pro-European policy and all opposition parties say that the European Union should um, um, establish or strengthen, I should rather say, strengthen its common China policy and that Hungary should be part of that common EU-level China policy. So I believe that the next government will follow a very different China policy. I don't expect the next government to offer the same you know, spectacular political gestures to China. Uh, but we also have to keep it in mind that uh, the next government, if there will be a next government, the biggest power, uh, the biggest fraction of the next government would be made up by the Democratic Coalition, what is a left-wing party and what always had uh, um, relatively strong connections to the Chinese. So I don't expect Hungary under the next government to turn itself into the next Lithuania and to turn the country into a China basher. 
but uh, but a more cautious approach is what I really expect from the next government. However, when it comes to Taiwan, um, I believe that another government would be way more friendly to our Taiwanese friends. Uh, the current government has been quite harsh, even when it comes to, you know, um, how to make everyday life of Taiwanese uh, representatives harder in Hungary. So a few years ago, the Hungarian foreign ministry even decided to take uh, the diplomatic um, uh, uh, license plates from from uh, Taiwanese, you know, official cars, and there were some kind of you know this small torn issues. Uh, what made Taiwanese diplomats' life a little bit harder in Hungary, despite the fact that Taiwan is a huge investor in Hungary. So that's you know a little bit strange because the Hungarian government has always been so eager to uh, praise all of those countries, especially Asian countries, with uh, high numbers of. Investment or big investment in Hungary, and despite the fact that Taiwan is a major investor, maybe ranks fourth or fifth when it comes to uh, the biggest Asian investors in Hungary, still uh, the life of, of uh, Taiwanese diplomats in Hungary has been quite uh, harsh in, in, in the country recently. So the next government, uh, in case there will be a next government, I think it would follow a more Taiwan-friendly um, uh, approach or foreign policy, but one-China policy has always been, you know, one of the fundamentals of the Hungarian foreign policy. And despite the fact that we changed our regime 30 years ago, we shouldn't forget that Hungary was the first country or one of the first countries in, in, in early October 1949 to recognize the People's Republic of China. So I don't expect, uh, let me repeat myself, I don't expect Hungary to be the next Lithuania. Well, thank you. This is uh, really interesting. It's going to be fascinating to watch how, how this continues to unfold. Um, so I wanted to mention another, uh, you know, fairly important factor in terms of uh, foreign policymaking, and that is uh, public opinion. And so what I found really interesting is that in contrast with Orban's friendly relationship with Beijing, uh, recent polls have shown that the Hungarian people are not as sold with a 2020 survey showing that nearly 50% of Hungarians hold negative or even very negative views of the PRC. And for instance, there have also been uh, widespread protests against a deal with the Fudan University, etc. Um, so how do you explain this? divergence in opinion towards China? And does this public distrust of China factor in any way into Orban's foreign policy? Yeah, thank you for the question. I think that uh, that's a very important topic. How social perceptions may, you know, alter Hungarian foreign policy, and that's indeed true. That Hungary, as uh, Hungarians, are one of the one of the societies in in Europe with the most negative views about China. I had the pleasure to be part of that public opinion survey project you were referring to called uh, Sinophone or Sinophone Project. Um, the, the leadership was uh, at the University of uh, Olomouc in the Czech Republic, and I was responsible for the Hungarian part. And that's indeed true that around 50% of Hungarians have negative views uh, about China, 25% positive, and the remaining one quarter of the society is more or less neutral about China. But we also had um, a different kind of question uh, when it came to the polling, and uh, that question was was how do you feel or how your feelings towards China have changed in the past 
three years. So we tried to gauge the dynamism of, of Hungarian or Polish or Czech people's feeling about China. And over there, we had a very interesting uh, picture. For example, more than 40% of Czechs reported that their feelings about China has uh, deteriorated in the, in the previous three years. Around 35% of Poles and uh, more than 30% of Hungarians reported that their feelings about China are more negative today than it was like three years before. Uh, the polling took place in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, so last August. It means that uh, the, the pandemic uh, might have had some kind of impact on the feelings of Hungarians about China. But if everything goes well, this year we will have the chance to run the survey again. And I'm really curious how the situation may have changed in the, in the past year. But I expect that Hungarians and other people in Central Europe now have even more um, uh, negative feelings uh, about China. Now there is an obvious contradiction between the pro-China policies of the government and the feelings of the society. Um, and, um, and one reason is that, on the one hand, uh, China has never really been an important political topic in domestic politics in, China, in Hungary until this spring, because the government, the Hungarian, the Chinese government, made a mistake. I, I, I think they never expected the issue of Fudan University to create such a big fuss about China. And the Fudan University scandal um, was probably the very first event in Hungary that triggered a public discourse about China and about bilateral relations between Hungary and China. And, and, and the opposition parties finally and eventually realized that, hey, wait a minute, there is political potential uh, in, in the topic of China in Hungary. They never really covered the topic before. Polit opposition parties never, uh, never mentioned China before. And now China is on the table. It's part of the political discourse, despite the fact that the Hungarian government and the Chinese government also tries to, uh, you know, uh, um uh, make the whole scandal to fade away a little bit. So the government decided to postpone the Fudan project beyond the elections, and they tried to make people forget about it. But still, the opposition talks about um, uh, the Fudan issue and other issues, for example, the Belgrade-Budapest railway line, where there's a Belt and Road Initiative project, and there's also um, a topic uh, with uh, at least questionable um, uh, circumstances and uh, nobody really believes that the Budapest Belgrade railway line would make any financial sense from the point of view of Hungary. So another issue what uh, has to be mentioned here is the Chinese approach or the approach of uh, or the methodology the Chinese approach the Hungarian society. And I think it tells a lot about the Chinese culture and the Chinese way of thinking that they never try to convince um, uh, the Hungarian public. The Chinese side has always followed the top top-down approach. They always try to you know, get close to the Hungarian elite, political elite, scientific elite, and, um, and the business elite. The wider public has never been a concern to the Chinese side. They never conducted uh, influence campaigns in Hungary. They have never conducted media campaigns in Hungary. So the wider public uh, can easily have that more or less anti-Chinese attitude while the government still pursues a pro-China policy, Although, let me repeat, nowadays, and I think till next May, the Hungarian government will try to avoid any scenarios um, 
that would show how pro-Chinese the government is, because before the elections, that would be dangerous from the point of view of the Hungarian government. Sure. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch and seeing that divergence. And I, I really will be interested to see the results of that survey for this year. Um, I'd like to, to take a quick step back. Um, I'm, I'm glad you talked about the 17 plus one earlier and that it's, it's been facing some challenges in recent years and that there's a, a lot of negativity in the region. Um, but as you, as you also mentioned, since the foundation of the grooving in, in 2012, Hungary's really been one of the key supporters of Biden. I mean, it really has been one of the the, the primary drivers, but it really has faced growing challenges in recent years that I think culminated with, with Lithuania's decision to withdraw from the grouping earlier this year. So given these developments, given this, this rising negativity towards China in Central and Eastern Europe and just really across the region, is, is Orban's government concerned about the future of the grouping? And in your opinion, I mean, I know you mentioned that Hungary is... <laughs> Certainly not going to be the next Lithuania, but does does Hungary? I mean, do you do you see Lithuania as a, a herald for a larger exodus from the group? Hmm, that's a good question. Whether whether the Hungarian government is concerned, not necessarily, because you know, if I was um, Mr. Orban, um, I would be glad seeing um, the sixteen plus one. Uh, getting smaller and weaker. Uh, and I would be glad seeing other countries uh, leaving the 16 plus one like Lithuania did, because that would increase the relative and absolute importance of Hungary. You know, when, there are, when China had a lot of friends in Central and Eastern Europe, Hungary was one of those. But if China has less friends in Central and Eastern Europe and Hungary still tries to portray itself as the best buddy forever, that would definitely increase uh, the, the personal clout of Mr. Orban and the importance of Budapest in the eyes of Beijing. And I, I believe that uh, compared to the size of Hungary, that Budapest has already enjoyed a relatively high level of attention in Beijing. There are numerous reasons for that. For example, Hungary uh, is home for the largest Chinese community in Central and Eastern Europe. And actually, Hungarian-China policy predates Mr. Orban. The Hungarian prime minister uh, back in 2003 was the first one to visit China after decades of, 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 of void or gap in bilateral relations. So Hungary, uh, even before Mr. Orban, has been kind of a pioneering country in forging better relations with China. And, and, and the Chinese, you know, they have, a, they have a very solid and long memory. So they do remember and they do uh, talk about it or mention it even today that Hungary was one of the first Central European countries to uh, kind of start of their rapprochement towards China back in, in 2003, almost 20 years ago. Um, but anyway, um, the, the potential demise of the 16 plus one, I think it could be good news to Mr. Orban because it would absolutely elevate his, his importance to an even higher level in case he wins the elections next year, because that's another problem from the Chinese point of view. As I mentioned before, the Chinese in, in, in the whole region have been pursuing a top-down approach and have been uh, trying to make contact and, um, and forge better relations with the elite of the countries. Uh, but I think they have already realized that probably that was a mistake. Uh, 
because as soon as um, through democratic processes, as soon as an incumbent leader with good relationship to China loses it, loses the election, like it is happening right now in the Czech Republic, or as it happened before in Romania or Slovakia, so as soon as that leader loses the elections, China loses its ground in the country, and that may easily happen in Hungary next May, should Mr. Orban be forced to step down then the Chinese influence and, uh, you know, this whole bilateral, strong bilateral relationship could go down in the drain. Uh, thank you uh, for, for, mentioning, um, uh, for mentioning that, um, because my next question uh, is actually about uh, kind of lower level gov governments and um, let's say the bottom up approach towards uh, towards foreign policy. Um, and so, for instance, as we've seen uh, with the Czech Republic, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there are cases when local governments actually make uh, make a pretty uh, big difference in terms of foreign policy making. And even though um, Hungary's national government has uniformly followed Beijing's line, when it comes to Taiwan, uh, we can see that um, in Hungary, uh, lower level governments have shown a much uh, greater willingness to engage with Taiwan, especially in the case of the mayor of Budapest. And so I wanted to ask you, do you see uh, city level outreach efforts uh, such uh, such as these as significant? And do you think that they could theoretically signal broader interest in engaging Taiwan? Well, I think the Czech Republic is a special case because um, over there, um, the wider public has always been interested in, you know, value-based issues like human rights. It's kind of a heritage of late Václav Havel, the first freely elected president of the Czech Republic. So over there, intellectuals, but also common people uh, do believe in the importance of, uh, of, of these values and, and shared interests and democracy and human rights, etc., etc. I think the Hungarian public is a little bit more well, realistic or, 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 or real politique is closer to the Hungarian mindset. And Taiwan is very far away. We shouldn't forget uh, about that, that um, uh, uh, the flight time between the two countries is like 12 to 13 hours. So I don't think that many Hungarian local leaders like mayors and stuff like that they think about Taiwan uh, on, a, on a daily basis. However, the mayor of Budapest indeed realized that um, there, uh, there, is there is potential or there is space for cooperation between uh, like-minded uh, nations like the Taiwanese people and the Hungarian people, especially you know, the uh, uh, Hungarian opposition voters. And I also believe that there is a momentum for Taiwan in the Central and Eastern European regions. So uh, I'm quite sure that the mayor of Budapest uh, invited Taiwanese uh, participants to a recent um, uh, forum held in Budapest because uh, they realized that the Czechs um, have started to work together with the Taiwanese. The Lithuanians started to forge better relations with Taiwan. So there is a kind of... Um, you know, uh, a momentum uh, in the Central European region to rediscover Taiwan. And Taiwan, of course, is very open to this discovery or this uh, renewed interest in the, in the country. Uh, therefore, I don't expect, you know, Hungarian towns in the countryside to uh, forge uh, relations with uh, Taiwan directly, 
simply because they don't have the financial assets, the financial capacity even to travel to Taiwan. But Budapest uh, definitely could be an important partner to to Taipei. Well, I think that's a a great place to stop. I mean, I I think you've done a great job of of painting this as a complex picture. This is not a black and white issue. Hungary is not just for China or against China. It is a a really nuanced issue, and I think you've done a good job of uh, of really explicating that and. Clearly, there's a lot going on the line in the, the upcoming elections, and clearly there's a lot uncertain, but I think you've done a good job of, of shedding light on really the key issues at stake and giving us a good picture going forward. So, Tomasz, thank you for your time. Thank you. Well, thank you also to all our listeners for joining us for another episode of GTI Insights. Many thanks also to the, the great staff and interns, particularly Henry Walsh, who's helping us today at GTI for all their help with, with every step of producing this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of GTI Insights on Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been GTI Insights.